Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. I'm Kat and today on the show we have a very special guest in the form of Tim Edwards. Tim is Global Head of Index Investments at S&P Dow Jones Indices. He's a PhD level maths nerd and someone much, much smarter than myself. So today we are going to talk about investments, recent market trends, how to pick stocks or not, and a little bit more. Formerly, Tim is actually Managing Director and, as I mentioned, Global Head of Index Investment Strategy. You've probably heard of us talk about S&P Dow Jones a few times on the pod before, Um, so particularly when referencing anything about index versus active investing. Tim hails from London. He has worked in derivatives through to global equities. His team crunch data on over 2 million indices per day. That is a lot of numbers and well, as we were just chatting before, not a lot of spreadsheets, presumably <laughs> using software far more far more smarter than Excel. Um, but today we're going to pick his brain, probably have our heads spin a little and learn something new about investing. So, Tim, welcome. Thank you very much. No worries. All good. So tell us, a lot of people have heard about S&P in a few different capacities, but what does the Dow Jones indices part actually do and what's your role there? Sure. Uh, so... S&P Dow Jones Indices is the name of a company uh, that captures indices. Um, we've actually got quite a long history. Uh, the very first index ever mm-hmm. was invented by a chap called Charles Dow. Um, it's called the Dow Index. Um, it's still going today. 127 years of live index history. Wow. Um but we have expanded from just a, a, an average of 30 US stocks to, as you say, uh, a lot of indices uh, yep. measuring markets around the world. Um, and as, a, as an index provider, as a financial data company, you know, our mission is to measure markets worldwide uh-huh. um, and to also uh, support our clients who um, will create products tracking for indices, like, for example, index funds, but not only index funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I run a seven-strong research team. Um, and what we try to do is to offer people insights on what all that data is telling us, telling you, um, to advocate for the role of indices as you know the basis for investing or trading or benchmarking, um, and to help the overall community of uh, people using indices uh, to get greater value out of the indices they Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned the word benchmarking. I think you know, a lot of people would probably be familiar with, you know, the little market tickers that they see on the news and, you know, in the New Zealand context, seeing like the NZX50 and those sorts of things, but maybe not have the understanding of how that data is powered. So, you know, for just a regular person, well, who is using some of that index data? Is it mostly investment managers? Is it also an exchange? How do those things play? Yeah, um, and actually, the, the NZX is a good example of um, you know how we as an index provider will often working in partnership with other organisations yep. in New Zealand stock exchange. So it is uh, its full name is the S and P fifty. Yes, um, uh, they're obviously the exchange all day, uh, every day, or not quite every day. People are trading shares. Yep, um, and at the end of the day, you'll get a, a closing price for those shares. Um, and what we will do as an index provider is take those closing prices and, and put them into uh, our analytics engine and come out with that day's value for the broad means of the stock market, mm-hmm. 50, the NZX 20. Now, what are those? What, what does it mean? What is the Dow? What is the S&P 500? Well, what they are, they, they are 
hypothetical, if you like, portfolios. They represent lots of shares. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you can they can update intraday and at the end of the day. They essentially represent a portfolio. But in the case of the NZX50, in the case of the S&P 500, in the case of a lot of other well-known indices that you'll see scrolling across the, the business TV, um, they're, they're a very special kind of index. Um, uh, and I'll just briefly explain what makes them so special. Uh, so if you think about a market like the US, there are big companies like Apple, there are small companies, smaller companies, S&P globalism. Mm-hmm. And there is more money invested in the big companies than the small companies. That's what made them or makes them big companies. But if you add up all the money invested in the market, then so you add you know, all the all the all what's in, in invested in Apple, all that's invested in SB Global, all that's invested in all the other companies, you sort of imagine this enormous pot of money, all the money that's invested. Mm. Now, market cap weighted indices, technical term, market capitalization weighted indices, what they do is they represent that overall portfolio. Mm-hmm. So if Apple is 4% of the US stock market, your index will have 4% allocated to Apple yep. and so on. Yep. So the S&P 500 is built like that. The uh, NZX 50 is, is built like that. Um, now, what makes these so special is if I tell you that um, you know the S&P 500 is up 1% today, what that means is that aggregate pot of capital really mm-hmm. by 1%. So they give you a proxy. They give you a measure indication for how everyone is doing. Yeah. So it's just one real convenient shortcut to say, how did the market do? Mm-hmm. And market was up obviously yesterday. Yep. And that, in fact, goes all the way back to the roots of indexing to Charles Dow, who actually began, he created his index because he wanted a way to say overall, you know, this railroad stock might have been up, that railroad stock might have been down, but how did the market do? Mm. So I want to calculate an average. And that's what he did. Uh, initially, uh, he published it in something called the Customer's Afternoon Letter. Uh, that later became uh, the Wall Street Journal. Amazing. Uh, and to this day, uh, the, whoever the present editor of the Wall Street Journal is, uh, they actually are invited to give input on what should go into the valve over time as it falls. Awesome. Awesome. That's such a cool story. So I guess... For, you know, speaking of the the index itself and tracking that and having a look over time, you know, whether it's on a daily basis or even monthly or longer at, you know, that kind of aggregate movement up or down, presumably this is helpful for both regular investors who just want to, you know, if they are investing in index portfolios, see what the general movement is as a proxy for their portfolio. But it would also be helpful, I guess, for people that are the stock pickers at heart because, they are comparing it presumably to how they individually have gone on a daily or monthly basis. Yeah, and that, and that, I guess that gets back to the you know the the, the original question around benchmarking. Like, yeah, does that actually mean? Mm. And why might you use an index as a benchmark? Um, well, we sort of explained how these indices represent how everyone is doing in aggregates. Yeah, right? um, that's a really natural point to compare yourself to, whether it's to over a day, whether it's over a month, whether it's over a decade. Um, if you have a process uh, that's adding value, if you like, or offering insight in terms of investing, mm-hmm. then you might hope to be better than average. Um, and market indices like the NZX50, they tell you what average actually is. Mm-hmm. How is everyone doing? Yeah. And that's why they're really attracted as benchmarks. They keep beating that index, then yeah, by definition, 
you're doing better than average. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I do want to touch on Spiva because I know, you know, being better than average is basically, you know, Spiva is all about that. And listeners of the show have heard us talk about Spiva in a little bit. But before we get there, um, a couple of questions for you personally. How did you get into the indexing space? Because as I mentioned at the start, you know, you had obviously had work experience in derivatives, which is very different from indexing. Fun fact, derivatives is the only subject I failed at university to get my finance degree. So you're not going to convince me on that one. Uh, much more in the indexing game. But how did you end up here in terms of, you know, wanting to do this as a career? Uh, yeah. So I, I, once upon a time, I was a pure mathematician. Hence the PhD. This was, this was back in the, the early 2000s. Okay. Uh, back in that time, there was, um, like, it, it, the, application of, of mathematics in, in finance was still reasonably mm-hmm. uh, and back in those days you could actually have a, a pure math PhD and you could go and investment banks would say yes please come and work for us um, I feel like I was the last sort of philosopher to, to go through those doors uh, nowadays there are, there are dedicated finance uh, and PhD yeah, quant, quant teams back in those days they, they, they didn't have those programs yet and they okay. were inviting physicists and mathematicians in um, and um, I, I I say this with with some, but not 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 much. Shape. Yeah, I mean, I sold out. You know, yeah, exciting. Go and go and work in finance. Go and work for an investment bank uh, initially in London and uh, then in New York. Uh, I moved to New York in the summer of two thousand and eight to work in derivatives. Um, your reader, your listeners, I should say, may also know that in terms of uh, working for an investment bank, great timing. <laughs> Well, it's not, it was not a particularly great time to, to, to be working in the you know, hedge funds and other derivatives. But do you know what? It was a, it was a fascinating learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I worked overall, I worked for, for five and a bit years in, in uh, derivatives and, and the sort of esoteric worlds, doing things like um, products based on volatility. And, um, and I learned a lot, but I also came to realize um, that... There was another part of financial services where the outcomes were better and where the approach was less about, um, well, I don't want to say gambling, but gambling and, you know, uh, competing. Yeah, being the best. Beating, yeah. Yeah, one winner for everything. Yeah. And that was that was then the still uh, reasonably nascent world of index funds. And right. Yes. Uh, and as someone who had uh, once upon a time had a, a very rigorous mathematical training, there was something appealing about the index world. There was something exciting about how a simple story um, not only resonated but also made sense. Right. Um, and I left the investment bank, and I knew I wanted to work at one of very few places. One of those places was SME Dadwitz and Disease. Started working there about 10 years ago. Awesome. And it's taken you around the world, even to New Zealand. It has It has taken me all the way around the world, indeed, yeah. Yeah, love that. Nice. So getting back to, I guess, the retail investor space, because, you know, most of our listeners are, I'd say, pretty familiar with index funds, probably already on a passive investment journey of some description. And, um, you know, we definitely skew female in terms of our listenership, but we've got all sorts that listen. And I guess, you know, whilst we have you here, as a retail investor, what are sort of two trends that 
we should care about because it's really easy to get caught up in news headlines. It's also really easy being in New Zealand to stay hyper-focused on maybe what's happening in our market and our very small sphere of the world and not have such a good global perspective, particularly when we haven't been able to travel and get that perspective too easily. So as someone that has, and from what you're seeing in much bigger markets, yeah, what are some trends that we should actually be paying attention to? Well, um, it's never easy in terms of investing. It's It's never easy to know what to do. It's never easy to feel confident that you're doing the right thing. Um, But the past couple of years, uh, through COVID and and through last year, um, they've been harder than most. Mm. Uh, uh, It's not just the fact that um, equity markets have gone down around the world. It's not just the fact that rising interest rates have meant that bond markets have also done badly. It's not just the fact that it seems like the pace of change increased rapidly over the past years. Um, and it's not just that if there's a feeling of the, the wind's changing and worried that you're, you know, you're in a candle that's built for 2019 and you need one built for 2022. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for those who feel tiled, frankly, uh, with all the, with all the challenges that they face. Um, how do you deal with it? Well, I think there's two things to, to bear in mind. The first is to understand that as investors, our own instincts are often incredibly unhelpful. What we tend to do, uh, there's plenty of evidence to support this, is what happens is when the markets are going down, when there's a crisis, when there's a panic, yeah, uh, we do two things. The first thing is, is we, we want to panic as well. We want to run away. And, and, and I get it. It's, it's a headache. Mm-hmm. Worry. Yeah, we want to just go out to the sidelines. And secondly, it's fascinating, this data on this, we tend to check our account. We tend to check our account balances far more often like when you're, when you, this is, this is just a phenomenon. I don't, some of your listeners may not do this, um, but the data suggests the majority of people do this. When, when things are in, in the green, when it's positive, you don't check, you just, you leave it alone, you're happy. When it's, when, it's, when those nasty red numbers come along, you yeah. check things out and you check again and you check again. And yeah. it's just not helpful. It's not helpful. And the yeah. it's not helpful is because actually those times of panic are really the worst times to sell. Uh, and there's times when everyone's full of uh, you know, fear of missing out and, and everything's going gangbusters and it feels like you can't make a mistake. Yep. In hindsight, those are often the worst times to buy. Um, so our instincts act against us. So how can you manage, how do you manage those instincts? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, there are and, um, I think there actually is a solution to that. Um, and it's, you know, I hate to sound you know, like, got to have your vegetables. And this is the solution. Build a plan. And stick to it. Now, you might get help from a financial advisor in doing that. And I think there are some uh, very good people working in the financial advice service who that is what they will do. They'll help you build a plan. They'll yeah. help you stick to it. And when it feels like, you know, the world is collapsing all around you, that's when they can hold your hand through that and say, look, this is part of the plan. They should have built it so that if there is a panic, you'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a good thing to happen. But if they build their plan properly and they build their portfolio properly, there should be some things that are holding up. Yeah. And there should be a, a, a strategy for managing through those times of panic. Because mm-hmm. you know, in the long term, and I, I do mean in the long term, uh, equity markets have grown almost everywhere in the world. And they've grown at a pretty attractive rate. And that's why they're part of the, the, the mix of growth assets that, that can help people 
you know, save for retirement. Yep. But in every market around the world, there are times of crashes and panic. And yes. To acknowledge that your instincts are not going to help you. Find a plan. Maybe work with an advisor who can help you with that uh, and stick to the plan. Love that. It's like you've been on the show before. We talk about this a lot because I think um, Christine and I are very open about the things that we're good at and the things that we're not so good at. And, you know, some things that we're not so good at is probably declaring what we're going to do with our finances and money and investments and then actually checking back on that a year later and being like, well, how how much do we keep ourselves to account? And it's very hard to keep yourself to account. Um, so definitely having an outside perspective for that is a super important thing. Um, we've touched on it already, but talk to me a little bit about the active versus passive debate because our listeners know that we love index funds. We're clearly very biased. Um, we work at Pernal, we're very open about that. But we also talk a lot about core satellite and the fact that, you know, investing isn't a religion. You can have a bit of everything. There's no one one right way to save for retirement. But there's obviously some data that is very strongly pointing us in the right direction. So what is that direction and what does the data show us? Yeah, I mean, let's start from the following. Everyone is an active investor. Well, that's good to know. Everyone's in that. I mean, if you take that context, you may save in for retirement. Yeah. Um, no index provider, no index fund provider is going to tell you, you should have this much in property, you should have this much in cash, you should have this much in equity, this much in international stocks. Yes. In fact, they won't. Uh, because the correct answer to that question, how much should I have at all those, is it depends. Yeah. It depends on your risk tolerance. depends on what your goals are. It depends on what your needs for income are. Mm. It what, you know, how do we talked about, you know, that behavior of getting through the tough times. What do you need in terms of how how much defense have you got playing for you yep. to be able to stick to that plan in the challenging times? So we are all, if we're invested at all, we are all active investors. The question is, where do you want to be active and where should you spend your time? Mm-hmm. And where what our Speaver scorecards uh, help you do is they show you where, if you look within a market like New Zealand equities or Australian equities or global equities or global bonds or sovereign bonds, et cetera, et cetera, they'll show you the hit rates of actively managed funds versus benchmarks. And what that helps you do is decide, okay, where do I spend my time? Do I spend my time at the sort of top level thinking about my asset mix, thinking about do I want exposure to global companies like Apple and Amazon and so on, or do I just want the New Zealand market? Um, and then once you've made that decision, as you know, let's say, yes, I'm going to have you know some equity exposure. Mm. What's the next step? Do you then say, okay, right now I need to spend or however long it is finding the best manager who's going to beat the market there, mm. or not? Yep. Um, and it does actually take a lot of time and effort to identify a fund manager who who might outperform in the future. Yep. And the reason it takes so much time and effort is because the odds are stacked against you. That's one of our speaker scorecards show. They show that just picking one at random mm-hmm. uh, is no good strategy. And in fact, finding managers that will outperform over the long term is really, really tricky because there's extremely few of them. Yeah. So that, what that suggests, what that data suggests is it doesn't tell you that you shouldn't have active investing, but it does tell you that it's not a terrible decision to focus on the asset mix and then use these index fund building blocks to get broad market exposure, which at least you know you'll you know you'll get a little bit of everything in there. And yep. you'll, you'll probably end up doing 
doing okay, and you'll probably end up doing okay versus the alternatives in terms of stop takers. Yes. Um, and you mentioned this notion of, of course, satellite, and I will make a confession here. Uh, even though I work from index provider, even though my team produces the Spiva scorecards, uh, in my own personal investing, the core, most of it, mm-hmm. is in low-cost index. However, I do have a core satellite approach, which is most of it in, in low-cost index funds. And then the stuff around the edges, I like to add a little bit of chili sauce. Yeah. I like to have a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I know that the odds are stacked against me. I know that I'm not smarter than the average investor. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that allows me to, um, get a, you know, in terms of what I do, uh, it allows me to engage, to, to, to engage with markets, to have a reason to, to, to keep up on the news. Um, but I know that what I'm doing there is um, I'm having a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, making a few bets, um, but it shouldn't, even if they all go wrong, yep. it's not going to damage me too much. Yep. Because the core of my portfolio of driving the returns. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So on that, I think it's really important to note because one of the things that we've often talked about on the show is the fact that, you know, we are who we are as people and it's really hard to sit on our hands sometimes and just let our investments do their thing. And this whole psychological mindset around less is more when it comes to investing is one that people really struggle with. And I guess I'm quite interested in that even though the data has shown us consistently and, you know, you your team have some data sets that run over 30 years now in terms of, you know, active managers beating the S&P 500, for example, even though the data shows us that that is exceptionally challenging for people to do on a consistent basis, a lot of investors are still quite resistant to just accepting that we're better to have that broad market exposure in the core and keep it simple. So do you have... Back to the, the, the instincts here. I mean, if it is, it is terrible... The, the the best advice is uh, don't just do something, sit there. Yeah. Uh, it's counter to everything else in your life. <laughs> Especially in those, in those times of, of, of market panic or crisis, you know, all the numbers are red, things are going down, it's yep. terrible. I, I, it, there's such a strong instinct to do something about it. Yes. Exist. Yep. The challenge is that we are, to a large extent, we're not powerless, but we're massively disadvantaged in the, our prospects for mm. success yeah. uh, in doing so. Um, and so I, I, you know, we talk about. I didn't talk too much about the, the satellite stuff. I try to be contrarian. Yep. I try to, uh, I, you know, in 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 my, it took me it took a lot of courage in March of 2020 when everything was was panicking and everything was was, was selling off. I took a really deep breath and I actually put a bit more money in the stock market. Mm. Uh, but it was terrifying. It's absolutely don't mind to be like, um, and um, I look. I mean, people often talk about their, their successes, and I should qualify this by saying, on average, I think most of the time, my 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 own little personal active decisions have, on balance, cost me more than they benefited me. Um, but it, it, to that point of trying to act against your worst instincts, mm-hmm. to trying to control what's going on, yes, to, to the point, what should you do? Stick to the plan. Yep, can be. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. Awesome. To round us out, what are your top tips? Or there might be a couple, but if there's one, that's also fine for, I guess, looking forward, right? You know, we've kind of come out of this really choppy market period, particularly for Kiwis at the moment. Life feels super expensive. 
you know, I think for a lot of people, they're probably grappling with rising living costs, but also wanting to future-proof and continue with investing in various ways. You know, rising interest rates are making, I guess, portfolios and overall asset allocation look a little bit skewy for at the moment. Um, so, yeah, do you have any kind of top tips for people that are still got a long-term horizon, you know, probably got realistically 30 years ahead before they're needing the bulk of their retirement money? Um, how did I guess, see the wood from the trees in this type of environment? Yeah, I mean, I have to be uh, somewhat careful because um, I don't think uh, generally the world wants index providers to give investment advice. That's fair. They, they want yes. to just measure what's going on and report <laughs> accurately uh, and not, not try and predict where the immense is, is going to go next. Um, but if you look historically, yes, this... It always feels like, you know, this is this is a, a new environment and it's never been as challenging as it has now. Actually, you know, roughly every every seven years or so you you get a downturn. Uh and the advantage of working for an index company that has uh you know, I mentioned the Dow, over hundred and twenty five years of market data to mm. analyze and long term perspective really helps. Yeah. Um and this time is maybe not different um, because there are uh, consistent patterns of behavior over the decades. Talk about, you know, yeah, it's true. Different parts of the economy come to the fore. Interest rates go up and down. Um, as it, it, tip it for you. Uh, in 1900, uh, more than 60% of the US equity market was railroad stocks. They're just less than 1% today. Wow. These things change over time. Yeah. The world evolves. Um, I guess my top tip is think about what for you individually is going to be a way. Is it, do you get help from advisor? Do you make your own decisions? Read your own data. What is going to help you stick to the plan? And I, I know I've come back to that, but it's so important. Yeah. And, and that really is, uh, that would be my, my top tip. Um, focus on the long term. Take a deep breath and think about what's going to help you get there on your journey. Yeah. Love that. Focus on what you can control, not everything else, as we say, with the markets. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Tim. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed that little chat. Um, as always, everyone knows the drill. If you have any questions, you can see us on Instagram at It's No Secret NZ or shoot us an email. We will link to some things in the show notes because Tim and his team have published a number of really awesome articles. And I know that we have some super index investment nerds amongst our listenership that would love to dig into that. So, um, yeah, you can find <laughs> you can find out some more information on some of the research insights, particularly around, uh, I'd say, you know, Spiva and the persistent scorecards and various other things there. So, Thank you for joining me and we will hopefully see you in New Zealand soon. My pleasure. Thanks very much. No worries. Thanks, Tim. Bye.